They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. of the Juan Juan podcast. I'm your host Juan. On this episode, we have Luke Williamson with us again. We talk about one of my favorite things, which is ancient civilizations. We pinpoint some different ancient sites in South America, and we go and talk about some of those because there are really some incredible places around the world. I'm obsessed with Egypt, but there are other places around the world that are much more interesting and thought-provoking than Egypt and again this is all over the world some get more attention than others obviously but I like exploring all the enigmas of the ancient world pretty much shout out to Luke and again I love talking about this stuff you guys are probably gonna get tired of hearing me and Luke talk about the same things over and over again we start with ancient civilizations we say we're going to stick to it and then we go off track and then start talking about psychedelics and all these other crazy ideas and and hypotheses that, that people have. But I love it. I love it all. Make sure to follow us on social media at the Juan Juan Podcast. Make sure to follow Luke's work. Check out his YouTube, Enigmas of the Ancient World. He makes videos and also does tours in different parts of the world. But without further ado, this is Ancient South American Enigmas with Luke Williamson. All right, and we are live. Welcome back to the show, Luke. How are you doing today? Good one. How are you? Doing all right. You thought we were recording there. You're going off on some truth. Right. Let people know where they can find your stuff, Luke. Uh, www.enigmasoftheancient.world. And from there, you can find links to my YouTube page, uh, my Instagram, and my Facebook page, etc. The first episode that we're doing, 
uh, airs in a couple of weeks. The first episode that we did, Enigma, uh, uh, Enigmas of the Ancient World, actually comes out uh, in two weeks. So it's people funny, I feel, will get I feel, accustomed to you. <laughs> I feel a bit like I feel a bit like the guy who played Jar Jar. You know, like he was so excited before the movie came out. He was in every scene and it was the new Star Wars. <laughs> and then everybody hated the poor fucking guy. So yeah. I mean, it's like we do like 18 episodes and everybody's like, not that guy again. Yeah, fuck that guy. It's like the 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 conspiracy that he was the Sith Lord the whole time. You yeah, saw I that? Liked, yeah, I like that <laughs> one. I liked like the robot chicken where like he just comes back as a force ghost to, to haunt Darth Vader forever. Yeah, I love those theories. Yeah. Uh, so today, Luke, we're going to be talking about, hopefully, stay on topic, about South America. You sent me some very, very fascinating places in South America, and I was just telling you how wild some of these places are. And then you were explaining to me the similar dogma of that you see in Egypt and Egyptology. You see it in South America as well, right? You have people yeah. who only believe that. In Egypt, only the dynastic Egyptians made those structures. They were the ones that figured it out. And then in South America, you have some structures where people only believe a certain group of people figured it out. But the evidence points to something else. Yeah, there's I mean, there's a there's a lost history um, just for humanity in general. But but these two places really, really highlight that. And you know, South America, Mesoamerica has got a lot of really interesting stuff and um again it's the the same thing the building style that uh would really uh, tax us today to to try and emulate and uh just seemingly incredibly difficult and uh very advanced and you know sort of attributed to the inca although it's clear that it wasn't the inca and you know they call these uh, the royal buildings or the temples uh, one of the two um and but what they can't tell you is is why they're never finished every single one of those structures that's built in this megalithic style that really does look as if the stones have sort of been melted together like they were like they were cookies on a on a you know baking pan that just kind of molded together now that's the appearance whether they were melted or not like you know i'm not gonna gonna tell you but that's the appearance and it's it's a really strange uh, thing and and once like you see some of the ways that they interlocked these you know the grooves that were on the lower pieces and and stuff around it's really like we would need computers today to to design something like this and yet you know whoever built this didn't have a problem doing it they just never finished a building according you know everything is finished according to the historians and the archaeologists you know all of these were the royal or the the temples, the royal buildings of the temples, but none of them are finished. They're all finished with that small stone Inca style, and that you just wouldn't do that. Why are, is every single one unfinished? And I mean, the only logical reason is that it's left over, it's inherited, and they're using it again, and they're you know building upon it. And Machu Picchu is another place that shows, you know, the clear um, initial monolithic building, and then a second stage that came later that's sort of a cellular uh, kind of building style like i was just talking about and then the inca which comes later which is the small stone stacking small stone style and uh you know the inca had an amazing culture but they didn't build that stuff and 
you know, if you go there and look at it and you, you talk to the experts like I have, it becomes really clear again that they don't actually have an explanation. And when I asked uh, this guy, you know, well, so what techniques did did the Inca use? Oh, they used every technique. I'm like, well, that's great. You know, break them down for me because I'm, you know, I'm really excited to understand this. <laughs> this is you know, the guy who only believed that Incas built everything. Yeah, the Inca built everything. And um, he started shouting at me. Like, it was a, we were actually at Oyente Tambo up on the top. And he started shouting about aliens and Atlantis. And like, you know me, I don't, I, I do not believe that the aliens did this. And, you know, I don't know why we're talking about Atlantis standing on a mountaintop in South America, but, you know, I'm just interested in how this stuff was done. And is it done when, you know, but this guy had a lot invested in it being, you know, his heritage, his Inca heritage. And so that's what he just started not showing up for the tour, sending like other cronies that he worked with because he couldn't answer any of our questions. This what was he saying about Atlantis, though? Uh, he was he was saying that if I didn't believe that the Inca built all those structures, then I must believe in aliens in Atlantis. That you oh. know, aliens came down and maybe together with the people from Atlantis, you know, built this stuff and buggered off. And I'm like, well, that's I suppose that's a theory. You know, it's not yeah, that's my, my theory. favorite theory, actually. <laughs> so he shot but, that one down, but. What you were talking about, where they're melted together, and again, I don't know how to say any of these names. Sacsayhuaman is that is that yes. one of the places? Yeah, Sacsayhuaman is is one of the most famous places probably because it has you know layers of these walls, uh, very large stone uh, blocks in in some cases. You know they're all beautifully fitted to you know base pieces, and then these walls are built and it's like it's like cookie jigsaw, like it's like Tetris. It's crazy, right? Yeah, How they're yeah. they're all different sizes, but they all fit together. How? Yep. It's and every then you single... see where the small rock areas are, which is Incan, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the Inca just finishing stuff and filling in filling in the gaps, and uh, you know, no disrespect to the Inca. You know, they were incredible agriculturists. They had a, a really honorable society. Nobody had locks on their doors. They didn't know theft or even laziness. Like everybody, you know, did their part. It was an amazing culture, but they didn't build those structures. And, um, you know, as you walk the Sacred Valley, um, you'll see, I mean, the Inca revered this stuff as much as we should. Um, and, and it really started, there's an author called uh, Jesus Gamara. And uh, he actually made a documentary, wrote a book called uh, The Cosmogony of Three Worlds. And it's hard to find. Um, and it's subtitled because it's in Spanish. Um, but he has What's this. The Cosmogony of the Three Worlds. And he has this theory. It's really quite. I'm not going to explain all of it because. But he basically breaks it down into three styles, what he calls the, the Hanan Pacha, which means first world, which would really be the equivalent of the Egyptian Zeptepi, and uh, the Urun Pacha, which is the second world, which he equates to the cellular, uh, like melty stuff, and then the, the Ukun Pacha, which is the third world, which is the Inca, and then on into the, the present. And he believes there were these three different times for him like the calendar worked differently back then there were less days in the year it's a really weird theory but 
everything that he says about the stonework, his father was one of the original archaeologists to work on some of those sites, and his father believed the same that these are much older, at least you know around fourteen thousand years old. And you know this has all been swept away nowadays. It's you know it's all given to a culture that clearly didn't understand how to do that. But so it's but like it the dynasties, like the Egyptian Egyptian dynasties, they have their own timelines. It's almost like the similar thing. It's just the thing that we find all around the world at the ancient sites with the stuff that seems really out of place. Once once you've been to a lot of these places and you looked at stuff, you're like, okay, that I understand. How the hell did they do this? And how the hell did they do that? And sometimes, you know, there are reasons that, that we can understand. And then sometimes it just doesn't fit, you know, the picture of what we know of those cultures. And then once you start seeing that and and then you start going all around the world looking at these ancient cultures, you see the same thing in South America, you know, Greece, parts of Italy, Sardinia, you know, Malta, um, Japan, um, Siberia, Eastern Europe. I mean, there's just Easter Island. Um, there's just stuff that is left over from an older time. And, you know, we just don't remember it. So we've and we've tried to shoehorn everything into the last 6000 years and it doesn't really work. This place, I came up cr- across a this web page or this this article. It says Cyclopean Fortress of Saxai Huaman. And again, we last time we were on, we right. talked about these ascended masters and a little bit about the cyclo the Cyclopean people, which traces back to where'd you say it was on the other side of the world? <laughs> well, Greece, really. Greece. And- this is because I looked into that. How come we're saying you know Cyclopean? How how is this Cyclops related? And uh, it goes back to to Greece. And I think they were actually talking about the um, the area around the Mycenae Gate. It's megalithic and um, uh, polygonal. That sort of polygonal jigsaw stuff. That's this side. This side is huge. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Saxiwaman is massive, but the, the original, the one in Greece that I'm talking about, the Cyclopean stuff, when the Romans came, invaded Greece and occupied Greece, they asked, like, who built this stuff? And the Greeks told them the Cyclops built it because the Greeks didn't know. It was left over, so it became, like, Cyclopean. So that's why, like, when I was in at uh, Tiwanaku and Pumapunku and, you know, the indigenous guides started talking about Cyclopean stuff, I'm like, wait a second, like... You know, it's like a a mythological memory of a you know a time when there were other things here that weren't humans, and they were they were building this stuff. So I think we so talked about this a little. You don't think there were aliens, Luke? You don't think there were aliens? I think there are aliens. I just I just have yet to see any evidence that they built any of this stuff. Like we, I think we talked about this. I think you know the aliens showed up here. They probably dropped some some knowledge or use this for their own purposes, but they probably also drop some knowledge, you know, like uh, with the Dogon with agriculture and, you know, things like this, like they, they could, they have kickstarted, you know, this primate civilization. Sure. But like, I don't see them building pyramids and stuff. I think, I think, you know, this is humanoids, whether it's sapien sapiens or, you know, another humanoid that was living. I, you know, I can't really say. Yeah, another one of these crazy is the uh, ancient upside down stairs. That's really wild looking. Yeah, and that that I mean, there's a lot of those blocks at Saxuaman, 
and a lot of them are, look like they're upside down. They look like they've been rolled over. And there's a really one there's one huge stone called the Chicana Stone. I think they call it also the Tired Stone. And uh, it's in like a back area, and that whole thing is carved. And the legend is that that was rolled over an entrance to the underworld to block off you know the entrance to the underworld there and there's like the block next to it there's a little tiny little remnant of a cave opening that you could maybe still even squeeze into but it's got like a that's got an upside down staircase like right above that that hole it's a weird site i've been yeah. i've been chased out of there a couple of times like i've i've been there three times and um the last two times I bought like a specific ticket that allowed me to go into any area back there and they still try to chase me out of there like one time. So I don't, I don't know what it is about that, but it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird stone. And, uh, there, there's a theory that, um, you know, that Saxe Amon is actually the, the tower of Babel, you know, from oh. the Bible, that, yeah. that, you know, it, that wasn't in, you know, Sumeria or wherever it was. At. I mean, I, I'm they not call big it the on stone the that cries blood. The tired stone or the stone that cries blood. Okay. Yeah. That's that's really weird. Yeah, I see what you're talking. It's got like stairs all over it. Yeah, and and the um, you know like the the trilogy of, of like uh, oblong shapes like removed at various areas and little kind of porticos or doorways, occasionally like T shapes. It's really interesting. They call them thrones. <laughs> like, you know, they've got these thousands of these things. It's like they they think the Inca just sat around carving uncomfortable seats out of out of stone. <laughs> you know, it's and then other people are like, no, these are quarries. And it's like, okay, so they're quarries, but where where are those blocks going? Because these are really specific shapes, but we're not seeing these specific shapes anywhere. So maybe they're being refined, but you know, I, I don't know. It's really it's it's quite interesting. But yeah, whatever they were using to, you know, build the jigsaw stuff is really incredible. Because like, you cannot fit, you know, a piece of paper, razor blade. In some cases, water doesn't fit between the stones. Uh, wow. We would just, we would really need, you know, computers to, to do that. And then we would like need to laser cut the stuff. You know, with like, and a lot of that stone's very hard as well. So. It's just crazy. Where did it come from? Is there is there a it's local quarry? Yeah, it's mostly local. I, a lot of this stuff doesn't come further than you know maybe sixty or a hundred miles, but very oh. often you're but very <laughs> often very often you're coming over mountains, so that raises the raises the bar a little bit. It's like okay, here's a hundred and forty ton block that was from a quarry that was only you know fifteen miles from here, but look at the size of the fucking mountains in between. Like how did how did how you know how did they do that? Oh well, if you don't believe they did it, you believe in aliens. Oh okay, like now I understand it all. It all fits into place. Like you yeah. gotta give you gotta give me something better than that. Like I need to see like the pulleys or the you know I need to see the tools. What what was it? And these stones are gigantic, man. There's there's pictures of people standing by them, yeah. and they're enormous. I've actually I've got to. I got to do some South America videos, some other South America videos. I just was really wanting to, to go back in, in May. I had it all planned to go back and uh, and get some more footage. But uh, I, I'm probably gonna have to wait on that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with everything going on right now. But yeah. that that's a shame. And what's this weird circle with? Because they don't know if this was a temple or what it was. And oh, and the, the the top of the hill. Yeah, they they don't know what that is. There are theories about it, but you know whether it was a tower of some kind or yeah, who knows what. What's the name? Do you know the name of that thing? I'm trying to find it here. Oh no, not off the not off the top of my head. So it's what again, like what another Stargate or something like that. I you know th- there's a um, there's some kind of water theory to go with that. I don't remember to be honest, but it's that area is roped off. You can like I was able to take photographs and film from like 30 feet away, but I couldn't couldn't walk through that area for some reason. I don't weird. Know yes, yeah, yeah. that's the thing, that's the sort of thing that makes you wonder, right? But there's there's supposedly a tunnel that goes you know underneath here, or at least a series of tunnels, but at least one. Uh, that goes all the way to the Coricancha and comes up um, underneath the Coricancha. Some of it's collapsed, but there are still ways to to get through. There was there are a couple of dudes who made a, a documentary blaming the Vatican for everything, and it was really funny because <laughs> they're like we're being followed. Like they they're at Puma Punku, and these guys were like looking at these dudes in leather jackets, you know, with video cameras, and they're like, I think they're following us. It's really <laughs> it's just like guards loop. in the site. But yes, the, this is very interesting. I, and I, like I was telling you, I, I, I'm obsessed with Egypt. But it's like you said, there's so many different places around the world that they that again, there's these sites and they don't know what they're for. And especially here, once you sent me all these links to all these yeah. different places in South America, I was like, what? And then, yeah, like last year they just discovered, like, I don't know how many hundreds of places still underneath the Amazon with, with LIDAR, you know, that never been looked at. And again, it, we've got the same thing going on, like down there where you have, like, the Toltec that we don't really know anything about, the Olmec that we know nothing about. Again, we don't even know what they called themselves, that we've named them that, but we have no idea, like, who these people were or what they were doing down there. And, and yet, you know, we've just kind of drawn a line and said oh well it must all be you know within the last thousand years 1500 years or something but we don't the reality is nobody remembers who built almost any of that stuff i mean the the huge stuff in, in mexico teotihuacan the pyramid of the sun and the moon and nobody knows who built that the aztecs didn't remember who built that <laughs> you know, it's crazy like when you really think about it yeah they call they call this literally they call it the stone circle. Yeah. The that circle there and it's got something to do with ley lines apparently or something like that. I don't know. But it's very odd. And let's move on to All of uh, these sites have water running underneath them too. Oh really? Yeah. Well, let's move on to Oyente. Can you say it for me cuz <laughs> Yeah, Oyente Tambo. Oyente Tambo, which is these, what would you call these? They're cut into the mountain with these shelves. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's um, there's an area uh, on one side with uh, some really interesting stuff that's been removed from the wall. Some of the, some of the ways they remove stuff from the rock face is very interesting there. They will remove 
um, you know, like a an octagonal or uh, sorry, like a they they extract like oblong shapes perfectly from you know from from the rock wall. It's a very interesting way that they do it because they're the tool marks aren't very obvious and it's like they're just you know extracting these perfect shapes directly out of the wall um and then you've got you know the inca um like step tiers you know that that go up to the top and there's a lot of inca work there but at the very top of the the hill up there is where the old temple was and that's megalithic and you know there's these six blocks at the top that are fitted together they're massive ginormous and they're fitted together so perfectly that you know you can't fit anything between between them and there's a whole lot of other pieces there it's like partially dismantled and again like just filled in by the inca later on spots here there and, and everywhere but it's a really stunning you know, if you're into this stuff, it's really stunning. It's a beautiful view when you're up there, but you get an idea of what this structure must have been. And some of those blocks really remind me of of Egypt. There's a there's a lintel block there that really kind of reminds me of the Assyrian. It's upside down, like you know, I'm not sure people know what they're looking at when they look at it, but it's it's an upside down. Talking lintel. about the wall of six mollusks? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, right yeah, and just to the right of that. Um, there's a, uh, you know, another part of the, the temple there, and on the end of that, the sun temple face, yeah, there's um, there's an upside down piece sitting there. That looks looks like an Assyrian lintel almost. It's really, it's really interesting. All that stuff up there is is fascinating. But I mean, the Sacred Valley is like this all the way through. But so what Jesus Gamara points out time and again is that there's always at these sites. There's the Hanan Pacha pieces, and what he calls the Hanan Pacha pieces are like the monolithic stuff that's made out of one stone, and like something weird has been carved out of a out of a block and like left in a specific specific position, and then, and those are what he considers to be like the oldest stuff, really sacred, ceremonial from the time before, and then around that is always at these sites built like this cellular stuff where stuff looks molded and it's massive but everything fits together perfectly and it's just like how did they do that and these are built around that monolithic stuff and then around the cellular stuff is the inca stuff the small stone blocks and that fills in some of the second you know world or second stage stuff so this at least three cultures that are building different things there over time. And after you notice that, you see it at all of these sites. And it's, it's you know, it's stages of cultures using, reusing the same site, building on top of the same site, adding to the same site. And it's just clear to me that there are cultures in that mix for us that we don't remember, that we're doing stuff that we don't quite, you know, that's the stuff that we don't quite understand. Yeah, and it again, we talk about these aliens, right? But not on, you know, I, I don't know if how plausible that would be, whatever. I, I don't care. I just like the idea because these people, and this is up on mountains, this is mm-hmm. way above sea level. 
This oh is yeah, rough, we're talking we're talking terrain. like nine nine to fourteen thousand feet. Yeah, way Very way long. above sea level. Way yeah, way and, up there. But what do you think? Why do you think so? For example, this stone of the the six megalithic monolith stones. What what bugs me is Luke. It's like why did they? For example, the the pyramids. This is all you know. It's all enigmatic. It's it's all the same. Why pick stones and why put them in this form, whether they were finished or not? Like, what is the purpose? Like, they're gods, like, they're gods like that, or you know what I mean? Like, why? Like, these, especially these huge stones, what's the, it's got like, they got these weird knobs on them or something like that coming out of them. Was that made to pick them up or? Well, this is. There's problems with it because it's not just the knobs. It's also once you start looking at, it, there's the indentations. So it's like somebody has pressed or made a reverse knob, like in some of the stones too. But the problem they could possibly, some of them could possibly have been used for for leverage. But they're very rarely are they in balanced spots where you could use them. I'm talking about South America. Very rarely are those knobs in like balanced spots where you could exactly use them successfully. Odd <laughs> they're in really they're in really peculiar spots. And uh, you know, so then what they'll say is, well, it's just they were gonna finish that stone. They finished, you know, the surface of most of it, but they just didn't finish that part. And it all was kind of, you know, all kind of stuck out. Um, so there's that, uh, there's that sort of explanation as well, which, you know, don't, don't really believe. Um, and then what they'll tell you in other times, like if they're around a window, they'll say, oh, those were, um, you know, to tie the window thing, you know, window, uh, what do you call it? Blind or curtain, you know, whatever to keep, keep out the the weather or the light or <laughs> or whatever and i'm like okay so over here they're because it's unfinished and over here they're for lifting it and over here they're to tie something onto a window you know it's like there's no like it's any port in a storm it's any explanation you know they can find to fit anything and you know we have to look at also whether things were reused you know okay was it originally for something else and then they ended up using this mm-hmm. as something to tie the window front there's a there's a doorway in um the Coricancha in Cusco that has like hundreds of holes and interlocking pieces and it it's really crazy and they tell you that was just to tie curtains to i mean it's it's mental um but i think you know there's a lot of these pieces like you see it um Pumapunku, like you see in Egypt, I've seen with Yusuf walking around where I've even had this discussion with Yusuf where he's like, if this were modern, if this piece were modern, we would say that this was made to house like electrical wires and you know, conduits. And then like, we'll walk 20 feet and here's a modern one. I've got some good video of this. And that's exactly what that is. And then you walk 20 feet and here's an ancient one. So it can't be for conduits because, you know, they didn't have electricity. So, you know, it's this just stuff like that, which, you know, if we start to look at things a different way, you know, maybe these things have different meanings. I don't know. I'm just pretty sure this stuff isn't, you know, isn't for curtains. Cora uh, Concha, is that, this looks like it's, is there something, is there ruins there? Because I'm, I'm seeing a picture of a temple of the sun. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, megalithic, really large, like there's, 
part of the outside of it is still out on the street, and it's got uh, very reddish stones, which still yeah. have a lot of those boss knobs. They and it looks kind of similar to the third pyramid um, in in Egypt, the the smallest pyramid of the three in Giza, like the way it has the knobs and the red color of the the stone. And then the inside is again, it's just these looks just like um, the Valley Temple of the Sphinx. I mean, it's the same sort of window uh, recessed uh, alcove um, designs that you see in the the Sphinx Valley Temple, and the same kind of corner work that you see in the Sphinx Valley Temple and a couple other places. Really like those interlocking corners. Yeah. Where you have stones that have like 11 or 12 faces, or sometimes 14 faces that interlock with all these other stones. Really, I mean, super advanced stuff. And but that thing that they built at the top of it, obviously that was that's a church. Yeah, they built. You can actually see um, in in the Karakancha, like the part where they used dynamite on part of the wall, and then they started building the, um, you know, the arches and and that part of the cathedral or church uh, on top of it or basilica, whatever they call it. And like it's nowhere near as good as the stuff that they built on top of. There's a curving outer wall. Uh, um, side of the back too that's uh, it's really i mean stunning some of the best stonework in in the world it's really stunning that whole place is amazing and again there's passages underneath that that lead to saxu Amon. and um yeah yeah and i'm seeing the knobs that you're talking about yeah. and it's unfinished and that again you know on the tops of those walls there is a sequence of like circles and um, dashes. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. Nobody knows what that is. Obviously, I mean, it's clearly done for a reason. We don't know what that is. Yeah, and it's like, is this in one of those sites that you said where they knocked down some of the ruins and built like a religious organization? Yeah, this is again what happens with these sites. Like this, you, you, you know, you come, you invade, you take over. You demolish, you know, the whatever the people built there, and you build your sacred place there, and then you try to indoctrinate the people you've conquered into believing, you know, your beliefs. And that's why, I mean, you go to South America now, I mean, Catholicism is strong, really strong. You go to Mexico, Catholicism is really strong. I've sat in Quechua ayahuasca circles in the middle of the Amazon jungle where you know the the shaman doesn't speak english he speaks some spanish and quechua and uh you're an hour by boat from the nearest little port town on the amazon that you could then get on a road and get to a real town i mean you're out there and i'm sitting there i've just drunk the ayahuasca he sung like his traditional songs and then he says uh, a Catholic prayer in Latin and crosses himself. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, it's just it, like as far out in the jungle as you can go. Like that was a shaman. Yeah, and and what this is what they you know has been done and is done with religions. They you know get a little foothold. The conquering race does, and they they just keep planting that seed, and eventually it spreads everywhere. And now like you know it's it's hard to find anywhere in in a lot of those countries that hasn't been touched by you know catholicism in some way and what what the spanish did uh over there um you know in the name of of god is absolutely horrific i mean they burned all the histories you know they killed 
tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. It's just crazy. Looted, absolutely looted the country. Think how rich of a country like Peru would be with all that all that Inca gold that the Spanish stole in silver. Wow. <laughs> be one yeah. of the richest countries on earth. Yeah. That's that's incredible. That site, Sewete, uh, I've got a video on that up on the, the internet. There was um, one building there that the Spanish destroyed that when they destroyed it, they carried out, um, according to the you know, the, the local legends, there were all these slabs of silver that were in there. And I mean like slabs, like like tabletop slabs of silver that the Spanish were like, oh, thanks a lot. You know, we'll just take all of this too. Yeah. And they took they took everything. Okay, can we talk about this? The Sayahuate uh, monolith? What the hell is this, Luke? Well, there, there's, you know, there's a bunch of stuff there that's kind of interesting. And there's that block that's at the top of the hill, which is um, like almost some stairs. Like a, yeah, it's, it's almost like a little mini model of like a, a village or a, a gathering sort of place and the mountains around it and it has all these uh, water passages it's got holes in the side where water probably would have run at one point i think it was perfectly level it's not level anymore but it, it i think it was was housed in copper at some point from the some of the marks and color on it but it you know it has a lot of um had hundreds of uh like i natural icon like jungle icons uh, you know jaguars and you know various birds and other snakes and stuff but of course the spanish thought that was all satanic so they smashed a lot of that stuff out um but it, that's still a really odd uh, stone and nobody really knows what that is there's theories that it was for water distribution like a test to see like if they dug channels like where the water would run but like nobody really knows and then the there's stone the stuff itself the, that it was used for that they have no idea they're just making up reasons for it because they don't know what it is. That's the honest truth. And then there's the stone at the bottom or the series of stones at the bottom of the hill, um, the one of which is cracked in half. It's got a stair staircase on the left. It's got a bunch of really interesting uh, cuts and indentations on the top and on the side. And, you know, they say it's for, you know, ritual effluence, effluvience, maybe where the, you know, whatever liquid comes out of whatever you sacrifice like runs down these channels into the various different oh, yeah. holes and places but again like we don't we don't really know yeah, i see the picture of that depiction where it rains and then it just travels down the rock right so but that for the top so one odd. it could be something like that but there's that whole hillside there it's got a staircase built into it the centerpieces of the staircase and megalithic and i mean that whole area is you know this water running underneath it and i found like what looks to be a large stone blocking an entrance to the hillside and the more i looked at that hillside the more it looks like a like a staggered like a like a long step pyramid uh almost like ziggurat looking thing and i just wondered like how long something has been sitting there you know grown over with all this stuff that could be waiting to be I mean, I'd love to get down there with some ground-penetrating radar and have a look, see what's inside that hillside, because I have a feeling you know, a lot of that's hollow. And a lot of it is hollow down there. A lot of the, the bedrock has just got so many tunnels and caverns, especially up around Cuzco, that area. It's, it's insane. It's like you're talking about the radar, and when I go fishing, 
I use radar as well. And I've always said, I said, if I could, whenever I go out with a buddy or something, I'll be like, man, if I could just for one second, just see through all the water for just one second to see where the fish are at or what's under the water. Like, how wild would that be? Imagine if you could see through all the sand in Egypt or whatever and the, all the things that we're not seeing or missing. Yeah. Imagine what we would what we would discover that could potentially change. Well, there's definitely you know, something to be know. said for, you know, what they're what they're calling satellite archaeology. And as an archaeologist, I think she's out of Boston. I think her name's Sarah Parsak or Par Parkak. I don't I forgive my I don't remember how to pronounce her name. But she's um she's an archaeologist, I believe, and she's been taking satellite pictures from or going through targeting areas and satellites and going through and finding stuff and then talking with archaeologists in the field and it pisses them all off. I was actually in Tanis and I talked to the director of the French team there and he ranted. I've got it on camera. He ranted for about 20 minutes about this satellite archaeology. She tried to tell me where shit's buried out here. I know where shit's buried out here. Like I, she pointed out stuff. I've known about it for years. I just don't have time to get over there. Like this isn't, <laughs> fuck, you know, he was just, and it's so funny because you, you start to understand how, in academia, everybody views any intrusion, whether helpful or not, as somebody like pissing on their shoes. And it starts you start to understand why why there's part of the reason why there's a reaction, you know, to it. Another part of the reason is because, you know, they have they hear the same questions from different people generation after generation and they don't they still don't really have a good answer for it. And that makes you in some cases, you know, aggressive and unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, once you when when people are questioning your knowledge, it's just like you know I do the same thing too when people try and question me or whatever, and like I know I think I know what I'm talking about, and they end up pointing out something that I didn't really know about. You know what I mean? Like it's like right. it's that sort of thing. It's that ego that we have as humans, yeah. but I don't understand because if if there's always like what like a head of like a site right or like these places around the world there's always like that one person that's like that people look up to and that's that person that knows everything about that site and once they i guess once they start you know questioning them because they've either been around it for a lot of years and dedicated most of their life towards and they think they know everything that's i could see where that would be offensive uh, offensive because you dedicated almost all your life to study this. You think you know every nook and cranny, and then somebody else yeah. comes along and says, "There you know, are a lot of this. known. There are a lot of known examples. Like if you if if you ever read the the book, it's worth reading. Called I think uh, Breaking the Maya Code. Um, and uh, the author, who's a you know, PhD, he was talking about uh, Mayan history and you know decoding the the hieroglyphs, uh, the Mayan glyphs as a, as a language. And he was talking about uh, one of the leading academic figures in the 20th century, mid-20th century in Mayan studies. I mean, he actively crushed anybody who suggested it was a language or that there was anything more to it. He ruined people's careers, you know, if they persisted with it. Uh, I think Michael Coe is the name of the guy who wrote the book. Uh, breaking the Maya Code or the Maya Code, something's worth reading. Anyway, um, 
And this is this kind of thing happens all the time. It's like there was a there was an archaeologist who discovered uh, bones in a cave uh, in the United States that had tool marks, like clear tool marks cutting the bone was at least oh yeah I forget I heard like about it. I don't know it was at least like twenty five to forty thousand years old somewhere in there it really just totally blew away the whole Clovis first theory which now finally we can you know we can release but it was a big thing for a while Graham talks and, about uh, that right I think he does yeah and he but they ruined that guy's career too I mean a, a lot of times people come out you know they they make the discovery that will eventually change everything, but like they may not even live to see it. Their lives get ruined for it. Their careers get ruined for it. You're talking about they ruin Graham's career? No, they haven't ruined Graham's career. I, they can't ruin Graham's career. He's, yeah, but he's sold he's got way some too many books. He does. And I you know, the thing is I agree with Graham on some things and not with other things. He's he's a lovely guy and um, you know, I appreciate it to hang out with him for a couple of weeks but uh, he's you know he I, he got into that hoagland stuff with the mars the stuff on mars like the you know the pyramid and the face on mars and i'm like mm, this is pareidolia but you know i'm not saying there isn't something on mars but like those photographs like i just wouldn't have jumped in with hoagland i mean it, i have no criticism but he started he started talking about that this is a long time ago this is after the you know, he did the pyramids, and then he did the Sphinx book with Boval, both of which were good. And then, you know, he sort of branched off into to other stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, one of them was, was that. I mean, he, you know, he went to Yonaguni, and you know, he went and dived over what's possibly the remains of Dwarka, you know, in India, which is like nobody's looking into that stuff. Graham's done an awful lot. And there's some places off the coast of Japan, right, as well, where there's like a face or like a head underwater. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I haven't seen uh, what's. I haven't seen that, but possibly. I wouldn't be. You know, uh, there's a vast amount of stuff underwater. I think we were talking like this before. There's at least 250 cities underwater in the Mediterranean that we know of, and so how much more is under there? So as our marine, you know, archaeology abilities increase we're going to make some amazing discoveries but right now it's incredibly difficult and expensive uh you know there's a limit to how deep you can go there's a limit to you know how much shit you can get rid of suction up and gets dangerous very quickly and it takes a really long time it's super expensive so they tend to focus on uh boat wrecks you know because they know they're gonna find something that nat geo will probably pick up or you know we'll get some attention or yeah, some, this, some gold. There's almost nobody out there, you know. In fact, I don't know if there is anybody out there looking at, you know, excavating actual towns and cities. Well, yeah, it's like you said, and especially if it's underwater, they're going to give it less attention. But there are some incredible places underwater Yeah. that, I mean, they blow your mind to know that they were once not underwater. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah. It's yeah. very incredible, and I don't know, man. It's like what you were talking about, the Mars thing. I've heard of – you look at the pictures, and obviously some of them you can tell where it's – it's like when you listen to something and you first say it one way the first time around, 
or like you're listening to a song you have a song where you thought that was what the singer was saying the whole time and when you read the actual lyrics it turns out that it was something completely different than right. you've been saying for years it's like this once you see it you can't unsee it you can't so it's like you said I and mean, you've mentioned this before just because there's straight cut lines or in nature doesn't mean that it was man-made sometimes nature does right make these shapes because again it's it's nature that's where we got our lines from you know what mm-hmm. i mean well i was i was really on the fence about yonaguni for a long time because i'm thinking ah, oh, this you know, could could be natural and uh and then uh, a guy called dave mills posted some some of his footage of diving on it there's quarry marks there's quarry marks on that so humans were quarrying at least quarrying that before it was underwater so yeah no no I, i've i've looked at that i think that's like yeah that's actually uh off the coast of japan i think that's the one i was yeah. talking about yeah i don't like i haven't seen any heads but it's not to say there there's one that so. that graham dove where it had a head it had a very big head mm. and or what seemed to be a head mm-hmm. and again it it is incredible yeah i wouldn't be able to see how this would be natural it's very very interesting and so to move on to the next site i have here tiwanaku right was the you sent me a picture of this site that had a doorway and behind the doorway there was a mountain was that in south america um was that on the link that i sent you uh, yeah, because that was actually at Oyente Tambo. I sent oh, you that really? picture because those the blocks around that doorway on that staircase reminded me of that red chapel in England, like uh, in, in Egypt rather, the way it was, uh, the way they're cut with the angles of that doorway and then stacked on top of each other. Uh, it's a little more organic and a little smaller than the Egyptian version, but it's pretty much the same doorway design these two massive blocks on either side with this specific cut into them i just struck me as being yeah similar yeah i know i'm seeing this that's very interesting because i think you talked they believe this was also one of those stargate locations well hey this uh you know it's all on the top of a it's all on the top of a mountain so i you know i don't know you know they believe in that the apus the you know the, the the natural the spirits of the areas and you know the mountains have a lot of powerful apus so maybe you know this is you know the sacred natural energy area of the site or maybe it's you know i very much i tell you i very much want to believe that you know portals or stargates or you know whatever you want to call them i very much want to believe those existed and were around i would you know there's sites where i'm like well this could be but you know how how do you how do you replicate that yeah i know what what were those bulbs in the dendean bulbs was it dendera yeah dendera where how you told me about them making another universe yeah i mean it's the you know the light bulb is what you know is referred to on ancient aliens and other places and it does kind of look like a light bulb and it does look like it's plugged in and but if you look carefully you see that the the bottom of the bulb is actually a lotus leaf 
and like it's a serpent that's coming yeah. out of the lotus leaf and it it's fits pretty tightly with you know the creation of the cosmos or the universe is kind of described by coming out of the primordial sea uh, as described by the egyptians and the ancient indians and because that was part of their religion right the, the part of their beliefs of this primordial sea yeah the the primordial sea of nun for the egyptians it was like the sea of creation like the soup that you know the logos if you will yeah it's what everything comes out of and returns too so it's you know it's a depiction of being if you look because there's one on a big one on either side of that chamber and on the other side there's uh you know the same the bulb with the lotus and the serpent coming out of it and then um there's a there's like a pregnant woman um kind of crouching underneath the bulb facing a guy who is like kneeling with like a disc or holding like a disc over his head and then you've got that jed pillar which has got two arms coming out inside the bulb but is like the bulb is resting you know on that jed pillar and the, the jed is yeah. like, it's it's the egyptian sign for stability or like grounding it's it is like an electrical like if you were going to represent an electrical ground that would be what you would use if you look outside at like your telephone pole you will see things that look like jed pillars like on your your telephone pole so like there's that aspect to the whole thing too so you've got something that looks like it pulls energy away from the outside of the device and like this pregnant woman and then this, you know, the, the, the coil that leads into the lotus that the serpent comes out of into this new space. I don't know. You know, I mean, you could come up with a, a thousand interpretations of what that is. For some people, it's just a, you know, a light bulb. But I think there's a lot more going on there. Yeah, definitely, definitely up for interpretation. The reason I brought up the Stargates is because there's another suspected Stargate here in Tiwanaku as well, right? That That wall. With the doorway in it? Uh, yeah, with all the uh, near where all the faces are. In the, in the yeah, that like had fallen there's, over before, and they picked it up, and it's cracked on one side. There's a couple of yeah, there's a couple of big gateways there. There's that one, um, and there's uh there's one at uh, Puma Punku as well, I think. And then, um, yeah, They're there's a couple of other large other, right? large gates. They are. I mean, you could you know, you could slingshot something from one side to the other very easily and again it's just flat up there you're like 14,000 feet or something and and whatever destroyed i mean tiwanaku looks rebuilt but pumafunku was never rebuilt and nothing in in either site really is in its original place except for like the the pyramid which is half buried still but something rolled through at 14,000 feet whether it was some kind of tidal event or a glacier or uh, I don't know what, something rolled through there and just left those megalithic interlocking pieces strewn all over like a child threw a box of Legos about and then like it all solidified in mud just like randomly. So you've got many ton blocks just with like a foot of the end of it sticking out of the side of a hillside. You know, like it just stuck. 
when you say when you say a glacier rolled through is like is that what does that mean because i've heard that being used before i know the glaciers what used to when they would melt away just like drag themselves or what yeah i mean they move stuff because they're not fully solidified like all the time so like large boulders and stuff could you know get moved in glaciers all the time and then eventually it melts and like there's this huge thing there but so i'm just looking at you know i mean there's lake uh titicaca is a large lake it's up there so just trying to figure out you know is that a remnant is that a glacial remnant you know what trying to explain what could possibly have destroyed and just thrown everything you know yeah so maybe, maybe it's a glacier maybe it's a massive flood or you know i mean there are tidal supposedly tidal waves that will be hundreds and hundreds of feet tall you know if, if there's some kind of massive cataclysmic event is that something enough to destroy that probably everything know. used to be bigger back then right it seems like mm-hmm. animals were bigger back then everything was Plant, bigger back then were bigger everything was bigger there was more oxygen in the air and things had more oxygen you know you know what i mean it's like it, it's that's what weird. i wonder how are plants bigger i mean i guess because we're breathing out carbon dioxide and there's more of us it'd be more carbon yeah i guess that would work because plants were bigger too it seems everything was yeah bigger. well they had bigger animals right so like the dinosaurs right. and right mammoths and stuff like that but at the I end saw, of the- dude i saw a meme yesterday with like a couple dinosaurs standing around and here comes the the meteor and they're looking up at the meteor and the one goes dude i gotta go to the store and get some toilet paper right now <laughs> yeah it's at the end of the day luke it's it's a guessing game and that's what pisses me off about all this that it's a guessing game just like with quantum physics just like with that the universe is expanding at X amount of light years. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff is just all these numbers thrown around at the end of the day with no solid backing to them. And it just blows my mind. And like these places, so Tiwanaku, Pumapunku, you have these weird stones. It makes you think, Maybe if other people rolled by and they just rearrange them just for the hell of it, you know, it's like, or like when people would roll through Egypt and see all these crazy things. And like you said, they would troll them and tell them, Hey, go do this now. And yeah. you can achieve the same thing. How did you do this? Oh, it's really simple. <laughs> and then they go back and try it. Yeah. Good luck. So you have that. And then, uh, you have Samaipata. 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 I I haven't been there. I've only seen photographs at that site. But again, super high altitude. I'm uh, I'm excited to go there at some point if I can. Oh yeah, that's at the top of a of a freaking mountain. Yeah. You, you know, some of that. I'm starting to think like a lot of that stuff looks like something fits into it. Yeah, but it looks it looks natural though. You see, so this, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know. You see, yeah, but it's weird, know. right? Because it's recessed into it, like you said, almost like of a spaceship could fit into it, right? Because I mean, you were asking, I didn't really like. I mean, why use stone? What's I mean? So okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe you don't have 
metal. Maybe your civilization is not using, uh, except that, you know, obviously they were, the Inca were fine with gold and silver and whatever, but so maybe you're just not using iron or steel or something, but like, why would you want to? They wouldn't, it wouldn't last for, it wouldn't, you know, it's one thing if you're oiling a weapon, but like they couldn't build, how would you build a building out of that? So stone, but stone is going to last forever. And what, or some stone will, and there's a lot of interesting qualities in stone too, right? And quartz and all this stuff that we use now for everything to power our computers and our communications. All yeah, like stuff, fiber. So. It's almost like a fiber optic network, maybe. And that's why I like to think about what if these ancient people did have some sort of way to achieve this higher state of consciousness where they were able to do all these crazy things, right? Because what's that other site that we talked about last time where nobody knows who built it? It's huge. I think it's somewhere in Mexico. I think, well, it's Teotihuacan, right? The Pyramid of the Sun, the Moon, what have you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So No one remembers who built that. But, uh, which one no one remembers who built Saxon No one remembers who built any of this stuff. Well, didn't you say at that site, in that site, they had this type of stone that was very conductive? Uh, which site? At uh, Teotihuacan. Oh, yeah. Well, they, you know, they had um, mica. Mica, like a, yeah. They, they had a thin layer of mica over a large upper layer of that pyramid. Just makes you wonder why. You know, it's, that's not like easy to work with and nobody's going to see it because it's like a layer that you're putting underneath stuff. So yeah, it's almost like an insulation, but it's like, again, it fits that, that narrative of what if they were able to like, you know, like the movie avatar where they connect their mind to this, this network. What if that was something like that? Right. Where they could, I keep thinking it's some kind of, you know, energy harnessing, devise some way to interact with nature and store store energy but you know i don't i don't know i maybe i'm just not imagining well enough <laughs> but it's like you know we're talking about <laughs> egypt um and i think I, I was telling you about some of those sites where like the, the structure has like a limestone core and then uh like built into the bedrock and then uh you know they build whatever of limestone around that and then they case it in granite and the casing the granite casing that they're encasing it in is feet wide like usually at least a couple feet wide and you're bringing that 500 plus miles and you know how much of that do you need and why and then you start to look at how limestone will conduct electromagnetic energy and granite does not and you start looking at these walls like at Abu Sir that have their limestone that look like coral that just got holes and has been eaten away, all honeycombed and and had shells in it too, right? Uh, I don't know about that wall in particular, but um, anyway, they build granite like on either side of that, like a wall on the inside, a wall on the outside of of that limestone, and yet it's still eaten away and eroded despite having been protected for however long by the by the granite. And you start wondering if, like, they're cycling something through the limestone and they can walk around it because they're protected by the granite. 
or in some cases granite and then mud brick. Yeah, you know, I like that I, idea. What are they, you know, you've got these massive structures, whether you're talking about pyramids or obelisks there, that you've you know, got high quartz content, among other things, in the stone, and then you're capping it with gold and silver, you know, electrum. Well, and it's got to be that, you know, pyramids too, like we look at the pyramids and people think like they're just stacked blocks that go up in a big triangle, and they're complicated internal structures, you know, oh yeah. These things that feature massive blocks in very unlikely places. So you know, there's a whole lot that goes into all of this, and it seems not like only that, just to make a tomb for one person is absolutely mental. Yeah, and not only that, but you talked about how they're not just a triangle; they're also what convexed a little bit in the center. The Great Pyramid is, yeah. The Great Pyramid actually has eight sides if you look at it that yeah, way. Yeah, and it's like that's very, face. yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah. To 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 do. But, you just gotta go out there and spend some time, not even looking at the pyramid, just walk around the Great Pyramids, the first and second in, in particular, and look at the the floor that they built out of bedrock, but it's not actually bedrock in that position. Massive, massive, massive blocks that they built to make a a base underneath these massive, massive. Before they even built the pyramids, they had to have spent 20-something years, you know, building the base for the pyramid to be built on. At <laughs> least. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. The launch crazy. pad. Yeah. Did you get that so, picture I sent you? Which one? Check your, check your phone. Is it recent? Yeah. Let me know what you think. We're talking about the launch pad at the... Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's, that's that's what I liked about uh, Stargate. I liked how those uh, I liked how the the spaceship fit over the the pyramids. It's yeah, I actually cool. started watching that show uh, two days two nights ago. Oh, I never watched the TV. I think I watched one episode. And went this is shit, but I liked the movie. Oh, they have a movie. Oh yeah, Stargate the movie is, is where the series came from. The movie's actually pretty good. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that out then. It's easier to watch as the movie. Oh, yeah. But this this semi semi pata place, what you told me about maybe something fitting in it, I just can't stop thinking about like a spaceship just landing on there and like locking itself in. And it's, then there's a lot of places that have that kind of stuff. And if you look at the Pumapunku blocks, some of those, especially the larger blocks, really look like um, modern heavy machinery bases that, that you would slot like heavy machinery into where, where at like puma punku oh the, yeah some of the blocks there um well i mean that place is wild and yeah. what i was telling you about so you talked about you talked about where are these people's tools and i and i've asked you about why did they use stone why didn't they use metal or use something else what if Okay, these places are super old. This lasts a long time. What if the metal and the other stuff wasted away? You, you understand? Like, I don't, maybe that could be a thing because that's what I've always wondered about Egypt. Where the hell are these people's tools? Yeah. You're going to dig those up eventually, no? Well, you know, if, if, if they had metal tools and this was, you know, 15,000 plus years ago, um, how long are those metal tools going to last? 
I mean, you might end up with a handle of something, I suppose. I mean, that's I, what I mean. Know. If you're looking at it like a, especially like some kind of flood event or something like that, a lot of stuff is just going to get get lost. You know, a lot of the, the best uh, evidence for the, the pre, you know, the high quality pre-dynastic, pre-existing stuff is what was found under the Step Pyramid of Zoser. You know, all those 40,000 bowls and jugs and cups and plates and stuff that were all made of various hard metal, uh, sorry, various hard stone that come from sometimes a lot of places, you know, outside Egypt. Some of that stuff's coming from Sudan. Uh, some of it's coming from Afghanistan. Some of it's coming um, from uh, Nubia. Um, so you, you know, you've got a at least pre-third dynasty, but pre-dynastic, you know, quarry system that you know, where they got quarries working really hard stone that they don't have the tools to, you know, none of it yeah. makes sense unless, unless, you know, we look at it as being left over from a time when we had the capability. Because another thing that really like struck me last time, the people who took out the Egyptians, that they were just literally in, in the history books, it says that they were just people. Yeah. Just, the no, yeah. Just, just nomads, just, just a people. And then it's like, the mines disappeared out of nowhere. It seems that the Egyptians, according to the narrative, they got wiped out by these people. These people we know nothing about. They were just people, but they wiped them out. So it's like, how do we, how are we sure that they were wiped up, wiped out by their peoples, quote unquote, or if they did, again, the theory that I love, ascended into another realm. Yeah. I mean, you could ask the same about the Olmecs, you know. Or, yeah, or are those people in the weird uh sculpture they all look like they're wearing helmets yeah and it's just these weird things that i i love this sort of stuff and ever since i started the podcast ever since i started the podcast i've been wanting to like go study either like philosophy or go study something crazy like this because at the end of the day we don't know we don't we don't know what any of this is and it just that blows my mind, dude. Yeah. It fa- it really fascinates me. Like that's why I love talking to you about all this stuff because it just really makes you think of what this stuff could have possibly been used for. And are these weird shapes and these weird textures? And I you know I don't know if it's the aging of of the actual site itself or if. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's a lot of weird, weird geometry going on. There's so many, there's so many weird scoop marks and stuff in South America too. And there's stuff that looks to me like, like uh, trowel marks. Looks like somebody's, you know, like finished the stone with a trowel and like not, not completely finished doing what they were doing. I mean, there's a ton of those, and uh, you know, just makes you think there's legends in south america of a of a kind of herb um it's a it's red reddish herb and they noticed that a bird would hold this reddish herb in its mouth when it was and it would peck stone it would stone blocks and it would make a nest in the stone what? and supposedly they discovered that saliva 
mixed with this plant like softens stone. This is the legend that I heard, you know, seven or eight <laughs> years ago. So, you know, when I, I've been to Peru a couple times uh, and I, I spent some time in John, I've like asked, you know, translators ask shamans if they know like a plant that does, you know. And the only thing I've been told is that there are a lot of plants and tribes don't share their information that widely <laughs> and uh, nobody nobody is coughed knowing anything about a plant that's off in stone well it's like i know of a plant that puts you in outer space i know of a mushroom that if you eat it it'll take you into another dimension so who who knows because yeah. another thing that i think about all the time and we're talking about these ancient enigmas where we don't know what they are what they did what they do nothing out there in the world right now, we have all these diseases and, and all these things. You have to remember that there will always be an answer to everything. For example, there's a disease. There will always be a combination of something, a combination of different ingredients that's going to cure that, that disease, that virus, whatever, perfectly. It's just finding that combination yeah. of things to be able to make it work. Yeah. So nothing, nothing is out of the out of the ordinary, right? Nothing is is impossible, because everything is possible, right? How they say sky's the limit. Yeah. If if you find all the correct ingredients and all the correct things to make that, you know, to achieve whatever you want to do, it's possible. It's just like how Plato talks about this imaginary world where only thoughts exist. And what we know in this world is we know what a perfect version of, a, for example, horses, and the world is populated with imperfect versions of that perfect horse, right? So essentially, everything that we see is pretty much not not fake but you know it's got its own world what we see and then the our thoughts have another, another whole world you know it's platonic realism which is really mind-blowing but you know what i'm trying to get at it's like there's always a, a, a solution to everything in the world and again nothing is out of the box with that what if they were able to mix up different plants and shoot off into another dimension i don't know i i also don't know but yeah i'm open to it moment here there's a you know there's a lot of plant combinations out there and uh at the end of the know, day they're chemicals right so you have yeah, all of our medicine that's pretty where pretty much where all our medicine comes from is you know from an actual plant somewhere down the line that has just been turned into a pill you know or a, yeah or a shot yeah that's why again we talked about last time about the sound healing and all this all these different not woo-woo, right. not uh, uh, methods, but just because again, like uh, we're talking about like what's real and what's not real, and obviously you already know what's going on in the world right now. I was talking to my dad and I was like, "Listen, because he's believing everything that's on the media because a lot of people don't know how to right ingest information." Because what's that one saying? If if a man that stands for a lot of things will fall for anything or something like that, right? Paraphrase. Right. I told my dad, I said, listen, you th 
you're injecting yourself with this chemical every day that in reality, if we really come to see it, we take things for what people tell us, what the media tells us that it is. They're telling you it's this medicine. At the end of the day, and I think about this is this is something I think about. What if, first of all, they tell you you're taking something and, and that's what it is to you. You take it and you feel effects. But how many times has, hasn't in the medical field have they given a person a placebo treatment and they get better all on their own? Because they think that they're taking something that's helping them. But in reality, it was a placebo. It doesn't exist. It didn't exist. And that person was somehow able to get cured. So I told my dad, and I think I freaked him out a little bit, that right now he's injecting himself with his for his MS treatment. He's injecting himself with something that they tell him that's what it is and that's what it does. Whatever in reality, it doesn't do anything because at the end of the day, it's a business. Right. It's a, it's, it's an industry. And I told him, I said, you don't know what you're injecting yourself. Oh, the doctor told me it's this. Yeah, the doctor could have told you a lot of things. Why? Because he's a doctor. At the end of the day, he probably can't even verify things. How do we? How do you know that that's what you're actually taking? Because we were talking about medicinal plants, right? About mm-hmm. marijuana and the healing aspects of it, of, of it, and how he ha- we have a friend who his sister has had MS for like 30 years, and she's never taken the medication. And if for people who don't know what MS does, it's an autoimmune disease. And when you don't take the medication, you don't die from it, but eventually your body degrades and, uh, you know, through neurologic, it's because it, it attacks the nervous system. So your body will degrade so much, your brain will degrade so much that you will, will you won't be able to, to walk. You won't be able to, to have some people, they won't, they're not able to breathe because it paralyzes those muscles because again, it affects the brain. So it affects everybody differently. Right. So she she hasn't taken medicine in 30 years, but she's been smoking marijuana every day of, uh, you know, every day of her life. And supposedly that that has helped her. But it's like I think me and you talked about this last time. How much of all this is just us thinking about it, right? Because you had your dad, your experience with your dad, where his mindset helped him get through his treatment. Because he's, yeah, but I, he I wish I'd been able to to give him some herb, though. He probably would have refused it, you know, because drugs are bad, etc. You know, the irony of him being there hooked up to a fucking cancer or chemo fucking pod. You know, See, but they'd know. rather do that, Luke. They'd rather yeah. pump themselves full of chlorine than, like my dad. My dad's like so against the marijuana and stuff like that. I'm like, listen, dude. If I had a terminal illness and they told me that you had to eat cow shit to be cured, at the end of the day, I can't verify that. So guess what I'm doing? I'm going to do whatever. And like how you've decided to not take cancer treatment once your father, you know, seeing your father go through that because of what you've seen. Was your dad against the medicinal stuff? uh, You know, he was just, you know, he grew up. He was born in the 30s, you know, to him, you know, he went through the 60s and, and whatnot, you know, he knew it was, but to him, it was not a, it was kind of dumb, like, why would you, why would you, he just had had that thought that, you know, smoking pot made you dumb. Yeah, well, 
he was he wasn't a hippie, obviously. <laughs> no, he was not. He was not a hippie. His his drug of choice was was alcohol. But, uh, but which ironically can lead to esophageal cancer. Yes. Well, well, Luke, talking about alcohol. Obviously, you know I'm into mycology, right? Right. I've I've sent you pictures and stuff. How, did you know that they used mushrooms in in essentially what was made or, or made to use and Joe Rogan talks about this that was made to use beer and ales and, and until the 1500s I guess the church had figured out that people were meeting God through they would use honey for the mushrooms to preserve them but obviously over time things would ferment and eventually they said that, that led to mead and when right. the, I guess when the That's when the church it's a big Viking thing. The Norse yeah. were very fond of their need. <laughs> Dude, you'd have to be sailing in those fucking boats around the world. Jesus. But yeah, so they so they thought they saw that they were meeting God through these drinks and these ales and stuff. So they they imposed a purity law. I think it was in fifteen sixteen, and that was one of the the indications or whatever that 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 foreshadowed supposedly christianity with having all these these symbols towards mushroom and, I, and i've talked to you mm-hmm. to you about this where people think that the christianity is is, is a mushroom cult yeah and that jesus or god was actually a mushroom but it's interesting because if they figured out that they were meeting god through these drinks because they were having psychedelic journeys and and hallucinating with these psychoactive substances that they that they obviously they couldn't broker because the church is just brokering in, in a, a a holy experience and they stopped you know they put a stop to that because obviously you have to go through the church to achieve your divinity right and what you talk what we talked about earlier where they build these religious buildings on top of these places that these people would use for temples or something like that because of the energy or where it lays in the world it's it's very interesting how much of it all does actually tie to religion how many of these places were places of praise to their gods or whatever they believed in you know all all religion you know it's it's got you know one foot in fantastical and you know the other foot's on the banana peel. I mean, it's most religions are like that, and we need um, a connection to the mystical and uh, the mysterious. And you know, I think it's I think it's kind of important for a healthy healthy mindset to feel like you know that that stuff is feel connected to that stuff that it's real and it's not just this you know physical construct that we see in front of us. Yeah, and you know, talking about symbology and the construct that's in front of us, it's like simulacra and simulation where they give it they give a symbol, they give something this value and that's what it is to us, but at the end of the day it's nothing because we named it and we created it. Which is like how Albert Einstein says you can't change something from the same consciousness that it was made from. 
We won't ever know where we're from because we're in the, I think you've said this, we're in the Petri dish. Yeah. We can't see above it. And I don't know, look, what, what got you into these all these ancient sites and this stuff from ancient civilizations? You was know, it I alien think... stuff? Tell the truth. No, it wasn't. It was, um, I think it was, you know, I, I went to Egypt when I was six because uh, my mom was working on a, on a movie there and we just had a six week you know, period there and I was just fascinated. Like everything was so different. It was, you know, it wasn't like the UK. It was hot every day and all the smells were different and all the sounds were different and like there was just all this old stuff that was really fascinating that it, you know I got to explore. I think I have just always had something from that time, but it's that like I, I'm not sure sometimes what the connection is that I feel with like these ancient cultures with the history, but I, I feel for some reason I feel very strongly about it. I feel like there's an important I feel like there's something I'm supposed to be getting still and yeah I, I, I'm I'm still trying to find out exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that, but it's it's compelling though. Like it's you know, I keep going I keep going back to it. I, I think about it a lot. I go through I go through stages of just non communication about all of it. Like I'm tired of arguing about stuff. I don't I don't care to convince anybody of yeah of what I feel like I've I feel like that's everybody's journey you know, for themselves. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like anything else. It's not going to resonate with everybody. So mm -hmm. instead of arguing about it, I mean, just talk about it. You know what I mean? Just talk to people who who do want to hear and who do believe the same things. It's, yeah, it's... I, I'm, I'm very I'm getting very attached to this idea of, um, you know, the same object or place uh, existing in multiple dimensional realities at once and being in different stages and or you know versions of itself in these different places well like, there's something about... there's something about that that like i keep coming back to like i feel like there are objects everywhere at some of these sites that i you know i, sh I should be able to recognize as being active in some way you know or there should be I feel like like there's sometimes I I'm like there's something really important about whatever it is, but it's I don't know I can't even explain it. Well, so are you talking about like an another realm where it's connected that way? Yeah, just like I mean I was I told you about that experience I had with the the giant blue entity you know yeah. over the top of the the pyramids with the spinning discs and just weaving all that energy and matter together and you know it just started me thinking about what if that is just i just saw another dimension that this object exists in and has this purpose in that dimension yeah yeah i can see you that know, and, and it, there's things like that i just start start thinking about as far as i know there's no reason why it, it couldn't be true yeah and can you talk about you told me you had some psilocybin stories no, yeah. not really. I mean, I mean, I everybody. <laughs> I tell you that I, the first time I ate mushrooms, I was just the 
the classic example of what not to do. Um, I I was 19. I'd never I'd never eaten mushrooms before. I I think I'd done like two hits of acid, uh, maybe once. And that was like my only real experience. And um, yeah, I, I I was supposed to go out to Vegas uh, to see um, the Grateful Dead, except I didn't care about the Grateful Dead. I, I Steve Miller was opening for him, and I thought, oh, I'll go see Steve Miller. It sounds like fun. And a friend was supposed to come down and go with me, and he never showed up. So I just drove out there by myself. And I was young, and I had a very limited budget, and I had like $60, um, which would have been enough for a couple of meals then and, and the gas home <laughs> from Vegas. But anyway, uh, after, you know, after the $40, but I did, I, that I was there in this just incredibly beautiful girl with these white blonde dreadlocks that were perfect. It was like they'd been braided like before she let them dread or something, just perfect. And uh, she was like, hey, brother, do you want to buy some mushrooms? And she could have said, like, do you want to buy some lawn fertilizer? And I probably <laughs> would have said yes. Like, I, you know, she was so pretty. And, um, and so she sold me this giant bag of mushrooms for like 40 bucks. And I saw them searching bags before people went in so i didn't know how many to eat so i just oh, ate all of man. them and it was it was 105 <laughs> degrees in uh in vegas uh in may and um i didn't care for steve miller at all it was not interesting and i had i needed to get out of the sun i remember going into the tunnels inside the the sam boyd silver bowl and sitting in like the family area with my hands you know, my face in my hands and all these hourglasses, just thousands of hourglasses in like a sea of the cosmos. And they all had little skeleton faces in them. And uh, I was like, this is like, I've never experienced anything like this. I was such a newbie. And I thought maybe I was going to throw up. So I, I, uh, I found the toilet and you know what the stadium toilets are like, they're just repulsive. Yeah. I got inside. There was a line, even you know, in the men's bathroom, and I was like, uh, "Guys, I just ate a bunch of mushrooms. I think I'm gonna throw up. Does anybody mind if I like, skip the line?" <laughs> Everybody's like, "Go ahead, brother. Let's get right in there." And I got into the stall, and it was so disgusting. It like killed my urge to vomit entirely. I was like, "I can't throw up in here. This is disgusting." So I just got my shit together for like 30 seconds, and I left the stall. And I had this idea: if I take my shirt off and get it wet in the sink, it's really gonna cool me down outside. So I did that, and unfortunately, it was a tie-dye shirt, and it just turned into jello as soon as it got wet, and I, I couldn't find the armholes or the head holes or <laughs> anything. And uh, finally, I think the guy behind me waiting for the sink was like, hey, man, do you need some help? And I was like, yeah, I know. I can't see the <laughs> armholes or anything. So he helped me get my shirt, and he gave me this orange. He's like, put this in your in your little backpack. You know, you'll need this for later, and then you'll be all good. And I was like, oh, great, thanks. So I got my orange. I'm going to be all good later. And I, I wandered out and bumped into my friend who was supposed to go to the show. I mean, there's 50,000 people in there. I bumped into him and then watched uh, the rest of the show. I was blown away by the dead. I just couldn't, you know, never seen anything like that before. And uh, ended up doing like the whole summer tour that year, just like going around the country, going to concerts and expanding my brain. It's and crazy. doing shrooms. Yeah. That's so crazy, dude. Yeah. It was an amazing show, too. And there was all this purple lightning in the sky uh, above the stage. It was really nice. How much did you think you took? 
<laughs> I think I think it was it was over a quarter ounce, but I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you sure. This is between a quarter and a half. It was a lot. Like I had to eat a tin of Altoids to like get it down. Yeah, no, it's, it's they're rough, man. I mean, they oh. don't taste good at all, especially yeah. if you're just choking them down like that. I mean, yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't good, but it was yeah, it was strong, and um, yeah, it, it, ended, up being, it ended up being a really good community to have that experience in. Like, you know, if you're gonna like not know what you're doing because you're out of your gourd at a concert, like you're better off being at a dead concert, <laughs> just betting or else because everybody's been there and they'll, they'll look after you. But like, it's so stupid to do anything like that. Why would you, that's not how it, any of these things should be done. But it, it led me to the path I'm on. So, Have you done psilocybin after that? Yeah, I did um, both for a while, both uh, LSD and mushrooms for a while in my 20s. But I, I started getting headaches like every time that I came down, really bad headaches uh, from both. So I, I stopped. And then uh, in the early 2000s, I did mushrooms one more time to see, and I had got a crushing headache after that too. And I so I just stopped. I haven't I haven't done mushrooms or LSD in. You think you did it too much? You fried your the circuits? No, no, I, I don't think so. I'm not. I think I don't know. I don't know what I think. I just don't do it anymore because I don't like the headaches afterwards. Yeah. But I, you know, I had, I, I for a while I was thinking, of, you know, maybe I'm just dehydrated, and that's like this is just dehydration headaches, and it wasn't that. And somebody else told me, oh, you need to transfer your energy to. I'm like, okay, show me how to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, thanks for that. So, yeah, uh, but the the DMTs don't do that to me for whatever reason. I would, was sure, like, when I did DMT the first time, I was like, oh, I'm going to have that fucking headache situation, and I didn't. And I also didn't have a depression situation. Um, what do you mean? You've you've gotten depressed from uh, psychedelics? No, but, like, you know, just normally. And then, like, DMT, just both DMTs, but... I mean, the 5-MEO more so, but, like, the, after that, the time I did an NDMT, like, six or eight months, like, totally depression-free. Yeah, yeah, well, I wanted to, because you talked about these ancient places having a purpose in, in another realm, another dimension. Yeah. How that could be a thing, and, and that DMT experience that you had with the blue entity like that just does make me think about it like how much of the stuff that's going on around us that we don't see you know and they're the shamans a lot of the south american shamans um you know they when they're doing ayahuasca ceremonies for people some of them drink ayahuasca but others drink other plants but all of the plants that they use allow them to like be half in that spirit world and see what you're going through as as well as you know whatever else is happening in that environment and there's a there's one particular herb that i know shamans use called camalonga and it's supposed to um yeah literally put you like half in and half out of that so you can still function in this world but you can see everything that's going on in that have you tried that no no um, you know what's there in it? They are the, the plant camelonga, and I imagine there's, you know, a few other things that they probably add to it, but it'll primarily just be that 
that plant and water. But there's probably a few admixtures. I don't, I don't know. Well, how do you spell it? I think it would be C A M A L O N G A. Could be wrong. Yeah, it doesn't come up. Something else comes. Up. Some earrings came up. Yeah, but again, it's like you. T- you also told me that you did when you when you when you've done DMT in South America, you have like some South American theme things going on there. It's really it's really weird. I see a lot of yeah, both South American symbology and also Indian, as in Asian Indian stuff. I've seen a lot of, and I've also, I've seen Egyptian stuff a couple of times, but like translated through another form. I saw like the Eye of Ra in like a Tibetan style, and uh, I've seen... Does that exist? Not, I don't think in the way I've seen it. You know what I mean? Like what if that was like a sign or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I've kept my, kept my eyes open for it. Because when you did DMT in Egypt, in Egypt, you, it was something sort of Egyptian theme, but not really. You had told me really, it was weird. yeah, it wasn't wasn't Egyptian themed at all. I was expecting it to be Egyptian because I'd been there for a month and you know I'd had really intense dreams the night before, and, and I was expecting to have a very Egyptian experience. You know, being there within you know sight of the pyramids. And it wasn't that at all. Like I was in a, a very fractal Indian, like Indian style environment with Brahma on like the lotus leaf and laughing, and uh, just this incredible fractal reality that shifted me into the jungle in South America and showed me, you know, pyramids. And I just had this understanding, like I was telling you, like at that moment that those ancient people were using you know these plants to be in contact and in communication with these other dimensions or realities or realms or whatever you want to call them spirit world and they were either emulating what they saw there or building what they were instructed to build oh i got you beings that lived there yeah it would make sense right because even with like some of these ancient drawings, you know, it would be difficult for them to be able to describe something that we know. So like we, we talked about the those carvings that look like a spaceship and and a car and a boat or whatever it was. And how you said that was what I'm seeing because I know what one looks like. And it's actually, you know, the different layers breaking away. And, and making, coincidentally, making those things that we can interpret because we know what they are. But you do see some odd depictions of things from back then. And, for example, what if that's the only way they could describe it, right? Just yeah. like how there's things in the Bible where they talk about how that's just how they could describe it at the time. It wasn't what was literally happening sort of thing. The indigenous people like, have no qualms about, you know, the ex- the existence of the Sky Brothers. You know, I mean, they're 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 doing stuff all the time, you know, as far as they're concerned. 
So, you know, was, you know, is that design on Pakal's, you know, sarcophagus lid or whatever? Is that some kind of spaceship? What's that in his mouth? You know, what's hooked up to his ears or his nose? Yeah, or, yeah. exactly. It's, it's things like that where you, maybe it was what it was or it was what it wasn't, but how much of it was them on these psychedelic experiences, right? Yeah, and you know we know that their psychedelic history in South America goes back a really long way because the Chavin culture is very, very old, and they were definitely that's all with the depi- temple, right? Yeah, there's depictions, you know, on on the walls up there of you know consuming psychedelic substances. So we know they were doing it there at least, you know, three thousand yeah. years ago. Again, this is exactly where I want to dive deeper into this sort of thing because it just blows my mind but Which, look, how much a, research could you possibly do right there's a there's a book called um god by jeremy norby jeremy norby uh dna and the roots of it's called like the cosmic serpent dna yeah i think i know what he's talking about that's a great it's a great read, and he talks about. You remember how we were talking about the Akashic record and access to this information, and so what Narby's take on this is as an anthropologist who actually drank the stuff instead of just making shit up about what stuff the natives drank, actually drinking it himself. His conclusion that he came to is that that you know all that memory and information is encoded in our d- DNA and we don't know how to access it so like oh. we, we access it in dreams or you know in some kind of state where something's happened to us and we're not in our alert consciousness decision making mind we're in like that other space where our subconscious is in control yeah and that makes our, a lot of sense he goes in the in the back seat and that's when we start to get this information and so what does you know dm duty the various kinds of dmts is they take you out of yourself and your normal situation and all of a sudden i think you become receptive to uh you know a potential wealth of almost limitless information if you can figure out how to steer it or be open to it long enough but you know it's kind of a crapshoot this is what uh don howard the shaman one of the shaman uh, in Peru that I used to talk to about this, he did not like, uh, you know, the, the DMT uh, experiences outside of the natural plant. He viewed it as like just an uncontrollable, un- uncontrollable random like rocket ship into the middle of something. And he's like, that's not, that's not where you're supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to open yourself to the mystery and apply yourself with your intention into connect through it that way this is just like you're showing up somewhere like you have no you know what i mean oh yeah yeah it's very spiritual so yeah he 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 didn't like any of that but i i tend to think that there's a you know there's a a possibility there exists a huge possibility to access information and i think it's there did i did i because we almost talked about it one time. I don't know if I mentioned this. Both Don Howard and another shaman that I talked to were very clear that the medicine will lie to you to test you sometimes. Did I ever yeah. tell you? Yeah, they would then? tell him you're the best shaman, yeah. and he yeah. would come well, out, I'm the best shaman. You know, yeah, I mean, whatever it is that they – so 
I have to also think, you know, it's giving me information about, you know, this stuff. Is it just, is it pulling my leg? Is it sending me down a, you know, a blind alley? I don't know. Yeah. It's It would be really interesting to just be able to know for sure that the stuff that you experience and interpret that you feel gave you that information was actually 100% accurate but that's scary to think about though Luke because what it and it brings me back to the sim what I like to think about the simulator the simulation hypothesis where what if all this is a dream or we're in we're in we're an atom in somebody else's world type thing right yeah like that's all a possibility there's a really quirky movie called John Dies at the End. Oh yeah, I've I've seen it. I don't remember it's, what it's about, but I've seen it's it. It's really it's really quirky. You've got to give it like the first twenty minutes to get into it. But it starts asking, you know, a lot of those a lot of those questions about just the random oddity of it's Paul Giamatti gives probably the best performance I think of his career in that movie. Um so good and his you know there's a discussion. I don't even want to ruin it for you. There's a discussion he has with like the main character that is just really all about that. Like, do you really exist? Is this just like, could this just possibly be like a minute moment of imagination? Your entire existence is like a moment of somebody else's imagination. You know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Can you can you force things into being? Can you create things? You know, just because it's it's all there in your subconscious. Is this you know maybe that's what this all is. It's just, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Well, I'm, I believe in the genetic, you know, the fusion of, of this being in our genetic, in our genetics and our DNA, because it's already been proven that fears are handed down from generation to generation genetically. And that that's how you get the, all these different boogeymen were always so scared of it. And it's like, this was programmed. We were programmed from the time that we were born, you know. Well, I Mike. think. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I think too, like the you know the plants are, the plants are communicating with us, like in this form. There's a definite communication from a life form that doesn't exist in the same way that we do. This form, in terms, in terms of like forming thought, so it's. There's a you know there's a really interesting thing that's going on. You know, why are the plants showing me stuff that would be relevant to somebody and you know current for somebody a thousand or more years ago? It's just it's yeah. really interesting that there's that you know they zoom in on this this stuff and I, I started asking people because I thought it was just me. I was you know drinking ayahuasca and being shown a lot of these symbols of ancient cultures and not just South American, but like I was saying, Indian or Tibetan, uh, what have you. So I started asking other people who were at these places who had no interest in Egypt and lost civilization, forgotten history and South America and megaliths and all that stuff. And like a lot of these people are being shown the same, the same thing. Like it's not, it's not something that's being picked out of their memory as something they find interesting to then be 
you know, elaborated upon. Like you, the plants are showing you specific things that our ancients like put into art form, you know, and we we assume that they created it, but maybe <laughs> they're being shown this stuff by the plants. Like I, yeah. I mean, it's just how many times is a plant? show you something before you're like fuck i'm gonna write this down and then you carve <laughs> it in stone you know i don't i don't know i think that's a valid question like where the how much of what we're you know if you talk to shaman if if you want to not just go and drink ayahuasca a few times and get out of your gourd and have some perspective change and whatever which is a healthy thing to do but like if you wanted to go and actually do what the shamans do uh, go further, do actual plant dietas where you sit in the jungle and a couple of times a day somebody brings you some plain rice and, you know, maybe a plantain or, you know, some boiled fish or something. And you don't, you have no music, you have no books, you have no phone or internet or contact with anybody. And you sit there and eventually, you know, the plants start speaking to you. And then what? the shop. The shamans sing, you know, these Icaros to heal people. They, you know, they have all these different Icaros. The more longer a shaman's been working, the more of these songs that he has that he sings. And each of the songs have different purposes, specific purposes. Some of them did like cleanse the body out. And I was telling you, like I've been in, you know, where a certain song gets stung, sung and 20 people start vomiting in unison. Like I'm not making this shit up. But so where did they learn the songs? Because they're all different. Every shaman has different songs. Well, when you're doing the dieta and the plants start teaching you, the plants teach you the songs. And then you sing the plants, you sing the songs the plant has told you while people drink from the plant. And the medicine is strong. You know, this is the kind of thing that's that's going on. So what, you know, what are the plants? The plants are teaching us. They're showing us. They're communicating. You know, it's up to us to figure out a way I'm struggling with, you know, just the, the time, like I'm being shown stuff that is very old. But, you know, I keep thinking it's because I'm into stuff that's very old. Yeah. But you know, I also feel a lot that, you know, this stuff I'm missing. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad your chair creaks as much as mine. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very wild to think about these things. And, yeah, you know, I didn't know that they did that because I was going to ask you one of my questions was where do these shaman like how do you know you want to be a shaman like what's like the initiation if there is one to become you know because it seems like pretty heavy stuff. I think you have to really feel the call to want to help people. Do you think it's witchcraft Luke? And that and that has to come from from a place not of ego where like you're not healing people for the status that it gives you because yeah. that's it's like never gonna you're not working well do i believe it's witchcraft no i believe it's like paganism if you will it's just like a natural way of living with with the planet and you know the energies of the universe that doesn't yeah. have anything to do with a formalized religion i think that's what it is yeah for you know there's I... something about us that that we find ritual extremely beneficial beneficial like it calms us um you know and it gives us a sense of of connection and solidity and no matter you know what religion or in a way of life we have there's almost always some kind of you know ritual involved 
Yeah, because we turn it, we we make it that right, yeah. witchcraft or evil, but it's just how know. you use it. I mean, yeah. this is the thing. Like, yes, uh, ayahuasca has great potential among other plants for for healing and and awareness, and you know, is there also uh, opportunity for for abuse? And absolutely, that's the the answer. And, and like sometimes it's willful. Like there's people who are just you know, they have access to it. They they know how to make this stuff. They'll tell you they're shamans. You know, someone might even recommend you. I don't know. And then, but you know, they're they have their own agenda. They don't really give a shit about you. And then, you know, you're in potentially a dang, very dangerous situation. Maybe that's how we became a failed plant experiment. They tricked us. Who knows? Right. <laughs> but. We'll wrap it up with that about some plant talk. I love talking about the plants. Yeah, me too. The plants, the plants are interesting. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if, I mean, it's already, we're fungal, you know, you have Paul Stamets where he talks about we're fungal beings. Yeah. And every, I don't know how many feet of soil has hundreds of miles or something like that of, mycelium and all these networks right. where the ground communicates with one another i was actually at my dad's house I, we were digging a hole because we we're setting up this it's got like a little ranch in the back and we we're throwing another side of it to, like a covered area and i dug a hole and i'm in florida it's all sand and right. literally two feet from when i dug a hole I came across this branch, this this root, not a branch, I'm sorry. And I was like, what the guy I was with, I was like, dude, there's no tree around here. It's a root from these really, really old trees that are there. And it's like, the tree is like 15, 20 feet away. And I'm oh, digging yeah. a hole down here and it has a freaking root from the tree. And it's like, Oh my goodness, like what if all plants, it is a network. You know how they say there was a network of pyramids in the world. And they had, they're all lined up and aligned with certain lines in the world for certain frequencies and these energies and all this stuff. And it's like, what if it was a network of pyramids? There are like, yeah, specific lines. That, like if you run that line all the way along you yeah. know, across the planet, it hits a whole bunch of sites. Like more than you would consider any kind of coincidence. Yeah, exactly. So how much of it was that? And again, nature is all interconnected. And it's that that saying, you know, uh, all is one and one is all, is is the same thing. Everything is connected. But who knows, Luke? It's it it blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think this isn't the place, you know, where we come for answers. This is the place where we come for whatever this weird fucking experience is. Yeah. It really is. Like if you start looking at it as this illusion, there's a guy, he's a, he's a Jewish scholar, uh, this guy, I think. And he, but he talks about how, you know, nothing is actually a thing. He's like, everything is just dependent on scale. Like if you zoom in enough, you're just like a bunch of cells next to each oh, other. Oh yeah. If you zoom out far enough, like, like can't even see you. You know, it's yeah. like, it's all of, there's just this one scale where actually we exist as the outer form that we 
only on that other, scale but then. and other yeah and others others exist there too but it's crazy to think of what's outside that yeah that that is a good i've never heard of that that is a good way to put it he actually is really interesting scale yeah, I think you could Google it. Like, there's no such thing as a thing, something like that. And listen to that guy talk about, you know, Kabbalah and Shaivism and all this stuff and how it, it kind of all ties together. A similar message underneath those teachings. So it's actually really interesting. I wish I could remember the guy's name. Yeah, well, apparently it's a podcast. I'll look it up. But yeah, Luke, uh, we'll wrap it up with that. All Give right, people well. your information once again. Where they can find your stuff, your YouTube, YouTube videos. Uh, www.enigmasoftheancient.world, and then we'll have links to my YouTube page, my Facebook, my Instagram, all that stuff. Right on, Luke. Thank you so much and, again for coming on. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to One on One Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Juan. Well, there you have it. That was Luke Williamson. Make sure to check out his work on YouTube, Enigmas of the Ancient World. Also, make sure to follow us on social media at the Juan Juan Podcast on Instagram. Shoot me an email, the Juan Juan Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a five star rating, review, subscribe, whatever to spread the word. I appreciate all the support. And until next time. so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.